everyone. Uh, we're back with Tree and Amanda, and today we're very excited because we are recording our second episode for our podcast, and um, we have the pleasure of talking to someone new, um, and uh, we're going to focus on the, the what's been going on in the world for the last few weeks for this episode, and we're going to try to keep it as concise and focused on the issues that we feel we can strongly talk about and that we are educated enough to talk about. Um, But namely, it's going to be the Black Lives Matter movement, everything that's kind of come since the killing of George Floyd and how that's impacted um, us, what we've learned from then, and um, just like the educational process that uh, both of us have kind of gone through respectively individually but then also shared and what we're what we're looking to to learn and to share with all of you so um we do have a guest today and i'll let Shri introduce her thanks amanda so yeah excited to be filming second episode ever of hold my chai um today i'm really excited to have our first ever guest speaker on the show her name's stephanie small she's a really good friend of mine um, we went to middle school and high school together. Um, we had really similar kind of upbringings and experiences growing up and going through school together. Um, the wonderful thing that is high school, which is everyone's favorite time of life. Um, but yeah, I thought she would be the perfect person to talk to and I'll kind of let her do a quick intro and um, kind of get into some conversations that we would love to have and just kind of learn from her experiences as well. I love how you say the wonderful time of life. <laughs> High school is like the worst. I was being yeah. heavily sarcastic in case anyone didn't pick up on that. Yeah, I definitely picked up on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my name is Stephanie Small. Uh, currently, I am a fashion designer uh, living in Toronto, born and raised uh, in the GTA. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Um, it's something that obviously is affects my life and my family's life being biracial and something that we I've dealt with my whole life Um, and I'm really have hope that what we see is going on right now will definitely make a an impact and a change and a positive move forward great awesome so I think um yeah I mean Obviously, I really wanted to talk to you about kind of growing up biracial and that kind of having its own, it brings about its own experiences and lessons as well. Um, But kind of like, maybe we can start by just talking to you about what this issue means to you and why you think it's kind of important to talk about. Yeah, like going just off of what I said, I think, I think that like up until now, I feel like the Black Lives Matter and the Black movement in general has always been a conversation that has been strongly vocalized from the Black community. Still is. But up until now, I feel like we haven't had that major support from other races. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing now and what everybody is seeing now and realizing, which is great, is that other people need to be held accountable and it's not just an issue that needs to be discussed only with black people in order to make change everybody needs to be involved so that's something that you definitely are seeing on social media and everything and it's great that people of all races are finally realizing this so that's kind of why I feel like there's a chance for change I think that us, the unfortunate situation of being in a pandemic and being in quarantine, I think kind of has people at home and they're not doing anything else. So like they're forced to listen to us um, and they're forced to think about it. And I think there's like a a beauty in that that can come from this. Um, But yeah, I just think, again, like what I said before, like being biracial, Like, you and me, Shreya, we grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, And that has its negativities, for sure. So this has been something that I've, like, been dealing with, like, 
systematic racism and microaggressions as a kid and I didn't even know what it was and I didn't really understand it it wasn't until I was older that I could really like point out like oh that's not supposed to be said uh, I think it's been a really like eye-opening moment for people specifically also in like the black community mm-hmm. uh, when we saw like the Amy Cooper video we were like okay so like people know what they're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, right. this isn't just like a lot of times, like, you were like, okay, I think, like, what they said was racist. And then you'd be in your mm-hmm. head, and you're like, oh, no, I think that's wrong. Like, mm-hmm. um, or, like, maybe I'm maybe I'm overreacting. I don't know. Like, you always, like, it's such a mind game, and you always try to, like, think in your head, mm-hmm. like, is this, like, actually what happened? Because you always want to, like, think the, the positive way, right? Mm-hmm. So when that video surfaced, it was like, okay. They know what they're doing. They're purposely doing it. We're not like we're not crazy. Mm-hmm. So then you start like thinking about like your past and like situations that have been going on. Um, and yeah, I think it's been eye opening. It's been very hard, very tiring. Um, but I feel like something definitely, hopefully, can come from this. Yeah, I think. Um growing up like I definitely I'm glad you brought up us kind of going through high school and and having a very specific experience I think a lot of kids that aren't used to being surrounded like being the only minority like I know I have a lot of friends who are from different areas even in Mississauga like the same city that we grew up in but they're so foreign to being around like white people their whole life and being especially as a child like I think me and you had a lot of similar kind of experiences where like People don't even know the tone in which they say things. It's like little things like that, which is the classic kind of definition of a microaggression. But Amanda and I were kind of discussing this too, but growing up in a predominantly really privileged kind of white area, um, it's like a pocket of the city. Um, You don't even realize as a kid, the things you say can come off so insensitive. And I remember just feeling like that sense of shame and like always being embarrassed of like my culture or... Um, I don't know, like speaking a different language around my white friends or coming to school with like a specific stuff in my yeah. lunchbox that they had like never seen and always having to explain like what I'm eating for lunch or like, oh, Shreya, what is that? Like, I think it's fine to question things when you're younger, but I think the way that you question things and the way that you ask questions um, about different cultures can be can come off so insensitive. And I remember both of us used to kind of experience similar things like that growing up. And well, it- yeah, sorry. But yeah, it comes off in a sense that, like, it's different. Yeah, it's different, and it's not as... It's, like, you don't fit in. You just feel... You automatically feel like yeah. you don't fit in. And I think, like, that's the major key. Like, when people make comments, and even, for example, about my hair, when I wear it curly, and mm-hmm. they'll be like, oh, wow, like, mm-hmm. that's so unique. Yeah, yeah. It's not unique. Yeah. Why right. is your, like, straight hair yeah. normal, and yeah. mine is different? Yeah. Well, I think, like, that's a lot when you're a kid because when you grow up in, like, a a white neighborhood and Mm -hmm. your parents don't take the time to, like, show you that other people exist. When you see someone with darker skin, you're like, that's different or that's weird. Mm -hmm. It's weird, yeah. things, right? And they're not purposely trying, not all, sometimes they are, but Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're not purposely trying to be rude but you are hearing these things. You're hearing you're different. You're hearing you're yeah. weird. You're hearing you're out of the norm. Yeah. And then you start to question it yourself. Okay, why am I different? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why am I weird? Mm-hmm. And then that starts to build like a, a complex in your mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Where like kids aren't even like purposely doing this most of the times. Um, but I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to like in like kids TV shows, there needs to be people of all races in them in books in toys like all my barbies were just like white and blonde hair i had like the odd black barbie which was hard to find yeah i remember yeah it's just like stuff like that right so that you're constantly being emerged that like white white skin white rules eyes isn't isn't norm isn't like the norm and everything else is different it's all the norm like you can't, you never feel like you can sit at the white table. Like you can never hang out with the, the white. And I remember like in high school, we had a very specific crew that was like the rich white kid crew. And like, it was all about A, money and B, like your white skin and like having blonde hair and having the like trendiest stuff all the time. 
um, spending your parents' money, having the coolest car. Like, I mean, money has its kind of own factor and all of that, but I think it definitely starts with your skin color. And I think when you're a kid, it just hits home so much harder. Like I think as adults, I think it still stays with you no matter how far you go or how old you get. But I think growing up as a kid, like I will never forget those experiences and those memories because and I would always just flock to my friends all just happened to become people from different ethnic backgrounds because I just could relate with them so much more. Um, I'm still, I still have very close white friends and, and everything, but I just feel like, and I, I think me and you had similar experiences in that we just kind of related with so many different cultures because we've experienced those types of things. Um, but I don't know, like maybe Amanda, like, I don't know if you, what kind of neighborhood did you grow up in? Like, do you, do you recall having those types of experiences or memories or is that something that's kind of new to you to think about too? No, for sure. I grew up in more North Mississauga than you guys did. And there, it wasn't, um, as much of a white community. There were a lot of South Asians there. Um, so I, I still felt a lot of the things that you guys were sharing in terms of like the otherness, um, the, the feeling the need to like justify things that are normal to you but are different to others like subconsciously you know when you bring in sure you mentioned like your food and it would smell different and, mm-hmm. and feeling self-conscious about that even though it's normal to you and it's mm-hmm. normal to everyone you know but it's different when it comes to what's normal as a Canadian growing up mm-hmm. um, in Toronto I actually think though a big education piece in the last few weeks for me has been I think I've always approached this topic of Black Lives Matter as like, yeah, I get it because I'm also a person of color, so I understand what it feels like. But I truly feel like one of the biggest lessons that I've come away is like, I I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there are still, when it comes to racial microaggressions, while I think there are similarities and there are themes that run across all colors of skin, I actually think the black story is is very different than the brown story that, that I had. Um, in a lot of ways as well. So um, I've actually tried to actively take the approach that while I there's a lot of empathy that I feel for having gone through what I think are similar experiences, I'm trying to very actively stop myself from projecting my experience as, as this experience because um, I actually feel from what I'm learning and from the discussion the discussions that I've been having that it's that it's different and like Steph for example you're you're biracial so I think that comes with an even mm-hmm. additional level of complexity mm-hmm. that in terms of microaggressions uh that are racially charged that like that are different um mm-hmm. than what what I've experienced and maybe even different from someone who is black on both sides I don't know if you would agree with that yeah I think being biracial definitely is a whole like different complex it's um within the black community it obviously is like my lighter skin at times my hair being able to go a bit straighter can give me some privileges more than a a dark skinned black woman that's insane Um, and I know that and it's actually very interesting because probably about like five six years ago when I used to always have my hair straight um and I was like always working and always inside so like my skin can get like very very pale and then I can get very very dark um so once I started wearing my hair more natural all the time and then putting braids in my hair and then when I like graduated school where I was going on vacations a lot and going back Mm -hmm. to Barbados all the time so my skin started getting darker I have seen a dramatic difference the way that I'm treated so in society before people didn't know what I was right they didn't know what my race was they would ask me like I would people would think I was was white no one thought I was half black before Mm -hmm. but when I really start when I started wearing my hair more natural wearing braids and my skin being more darker majority of the times I really see a difference and that like is very eye-opening to me and then to think, what does a dark-skinned Black woman have to deal with? Right. Um, and I think when people think about, like, this whole conversation, it always just stays in America. And people think that everything's great in Canada, and yeah. it's not. Yeah. And I think that also needs, people need, like, to be, like, awake to that. I think, and it's not even that it's, like, people also say, like, oh, it's just, I think, like, people are nicer, like racism's nicer in Canada. 
I'm like, I don't think that is either, because I've heard many stories of people getting stopped by police for no reason, thrown on the ground, being questioned. Like, I was called the N-word at the age of nine years old. My gosh. On the playground. I didn't even understand what it was. Yeah. But I knew, like, the hatred. Yeah. And I think when you're a kid, like, that's such an interesting point, like, just to not to cut you off there, but I just feel like when you're a kid, like, you, it's so true, like, you don't always even know what you're saying, but you just know that it's something mean, and that in itself is, like, so heartbreaking, because it's, like, you've obviously learned, this kid has obviously learned this word somewhere, or this phrase somewhere, and they're using it because they're trying to hurt someone, like, it's the purest form of like true negativity and true hatred and like that behavior stems from when you're a child and when you're young and then it grows into something that you know if that's what's happening at home or if you're hearing your parents talk like that or your friends whoever you're surrounding yourself with um I think that's really scary and I I totally agree I think there's no such thing as like nice racism like if you're racist you're racist yeah and like it's almost like a bigger slap in the face when someone tries to like nicely say something that they know may be offensive, but they say it anyways. Like I, I used to face a lot of that and I totally agree, Amanda. It's not the same thing. Cause I think, you know, minority is a minority, but at the same time, like every experience is so different. And I think the conversation really here, like stems from the black community and stems from, and we need to focus on the black lives matter movement. Um, and I think it's so important for us to just like be listeners, um, right now and to just take in kind of what everyone's saying in the black community and I think they have faced you know for longer periods of time and I think in Canada it's very different from America but it's the same type of you you can relate to that because it's just like as a kid growing up it's it's extremely hurtful but I'm, I'm interested to know stuff kind of like systemic racism like I wanted to get into that a little bit because I feel like um I probably have my own stories Amanda probably has hers but I'm interested to hear from you if like how your experiences have been with systemic racism in Canada, specifically growing up in in the workplace or kind of just how um, you felt uh, being in school or at work, wherever yeah. it is. And obviously like we don't need to name specific situations, but how have you experienced that and what has it been like for you? I don't think that my experience has been like to the point of other people with, um, mm-hmm. that like to like to the extreme or even close um, I think like where we grew up like I was very privileged in that sense like my parents being able to just, like put us in a neighborhood that had the money and edu- and to put into the schools of that neighborhood being able to go to, like that education giving me um, be- to go to the, mm-hmm. the university that I want to go to to study what I want to study so I, it's not to like that level, but definitely I think that basing on like microaggressions, I feel like in workplaces that I've been in, I'm cons- I always am considered working harder. Mm. Um, and I and I don't know like based upon like exactly what that's from, but like growing up, you always get told like as a black person that like you have to work twice as hard. Yeah, to get half of what they have um yeah so that could just be like instilled in me but I've definitely seen it in situations Mm -hmm. in different workplaces that I've been in where I see someone else that is white that is at the same level as me and is not working to the point that I am working at and Mm -hmm. gets more like privilege in their position and I've heard stories of other people who are that similar so I think like in Canada and Toronto it's not where it is in the states necessarily but it's those like hidden things and I think those are very challenging because it just messes with your mind and it's such a mental game Mm -hmm. to a point where like you don't even understand what it is or you can't communicate it but it's just I think it really comes down to that and I think in a lot of corporate worlds like you don't have black leaders Mm-hmm. You don't have people. Mm-hmm. If you look at majority of corporations, who who are your directors? Right. Like who are actually a, that can make a difference? Yeah. 
So, and like social media, you're seeing all these businesses yeah. posting thing, like I'm donating all this money and everyone keeps saying back, yeah. okay, well, like show me what your infrastructure yeah. looks like. Right. And when people say like, oh, well, we've got a lot of like diversity. I'm yeah. like, okay, is it, a, is it an entry level? Because yeah. don't, don't Yeah, that doesn't count. I mean, it counts, yeah, but it's not the count. same thing. Like post, an, so post a picture count. of you. Yeah, it doesn't. Post yeah. a picture of your executive board. Like, let's see that. Exactly. Because those people can't actually make a significant change. Also, yeah. you need people in those positions of power, but you also need to be able to keep them there. Yeah. So you need to make sure that your your workplace safe environment, because a lot of Black people might get in those positions and then have to leave because they're dealing with those. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think that's a major key as well. It's like you have to make sure that you are protecting mm-hmm. Black. If you're the, if they're the only Black person out of all like white people. And they're in all these meetings, like what, what's going on in those meetings, right? Yeah. That go somewhere else. Right. So I think it's, it's very layered, mm-hmm. but I think like in the business world, I think that is where like, it's the easiest place to make a difference. And I think that is where in Canada and in the States, it's lacking so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, and I think to your point that you made earlier, like you need a white ally to put that first black person mm-hmm. into that leadership position and it requires everyone's buy-in. I think when we talk about systemic racist racism, the the challenges that people have is like it's just such an intent I think because it is unintentional racism and it is implicit bias that people aren't consciously aware of. And so when you talk about your experience, I think that's very powerful because there's a lot of things that people just automatically take for granted, which is like seeing the color of your own skin as the CEO or um, as leading up your team even. And and that 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 does have like a, an impact to how you see yourself and how you see your growth trajectory. So I think that's a great point. Um, in terms of this movement alive, I guess, um, how would you, in an ideal state, where do you see yourself yourself within it going so that people challenging and to be true? Because it's I, I kind of described this act of like being aware as exercising, where it's not going to happen naturally. You're not going to one day just like flip the switch to I'm anti-racist and I'm not racist. You need to work on it every day and you'll need to be called out for for having privilege and having blind spots but people need to actively pursue that so how like in your ideal state how are people keeping that momentum going and pushing themselves where they aren't necessarily incentivized to do so yeah I think it comes to many layers I think the first thing is education and it needs to start with the children to take that responsibility, I think our education system needs to actually talk about real history, not fake history. And I call it fake history because talking about someone discovering a land, that's that's the wrong verb. He didn't like discover it. Mm-hmm. He took it. Right. So I think like, and that goes from like all like that talks about that's a whole other situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think like in school, you need to actually talk about, like, all the history, right? You need to, It needs to be properly educated. When you go into university, why is, like, there, there's history and then there's black history, right? It can't be, like, segregated and separate like that. Yeah, that's a and really then, good point. You never yeah, see yourselves in those textbooks, and it's just like, okay, my people were here too. Like, what about us kind of thing? Where are we? Exactly. Exactly. And I think like that, like starting with education with, with children at a young age will help drastically. I think like right now within like businesses, I think businesses, back to my point, need to donating money that you donating like a million dollars a company that's not doing anything actually to what you could do, right? So you need to hire people. You need to make actionable change. Hire people in positions of power. 
to help your employees. You need to make sure that they're safe. You need to make a com- make a safe community and a, a safe culture. I think also businesses need to make sure that they are like retail stores and like Walmart, for example, and Sephora, like buy black. There's this uh, organization that just started that's called like the 15% Pledge. It's based in America. Aurora James, she's an de- uh, American designer, started it. And companies be held accountable. So you're pledging to make sure that you are giving 50, 15% of your shelf space to Black-owned businesses. Wow. And that's not a lot, 15%. Yeah. But like, I know. To the one, uh, one or 2% you had before, like, that's a big difference. And I know small things that, like, making sure the money is going back into the community so that, that we can continue. Right. So, like, just not buying anything um, from Black businesses, not putting Black people in positions of power, not educating white people about what they're doing is wrong at a young age. Like, that's how we got to where we are. Mm -hmm. Also, multiple other things. But Mm -hmm. those are things that I think are, like, very easy changes Mm -hmm. that can be be made now. Um, But these microaggressions, like, need to stop. But the only way I think they can stop is by people being aware of what yeah. they're actually saying. Like, people don't get that saying, again, back to, like, oh, your hair is so different. Yeah. I don't get that that's, like, a wrong thing. Or, oh, wow, like, you're you're pretty for a black girl. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, like, a... <laughs> that's really, <laughs> really derogatory, and, yeah. Yeah, and they don't get it. They're like, oh, well, I'm compl- complimenting you. And you're like, yeah. no, you're not. You're saying... I'm pretty for a black girl, mm-hmm. right? Or because I'm biracial, you think I'm pretty. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. had like people say that to me. I've had white like, guys in the past say like, "I wouldn't date a black woman," but like you're biracial. It's like right. so my white side is what you like. Like people don't realize what there's the impact of what they're saying. Yeah. Um, or saying things like, "Oh, your white side is coming out." when you're like biracial or even if you're you're full black being like oh you're acting white because I why because I'm like wearing a polo or because because I'm not I don't fit your mold of what you think is like your mold it doesn't make any sense so but I think all of that comes from education right at a young age I think that these people the people that say these things think it's normal to say those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I really hope that's what kind of comes out too of this movement is that people just get educated. And I hope it scares people into raising their kids correctly, because I think the conversations are really loud right now. And I think because like you said, it's a pandemic on top of everything else, like people are forced to see it and listen to it. You can't get away from it. And I think that's the whole point. I think it's like the time has come. It's like way past time. And I think parents need to step up families need to step up friends need to step up and educate and help each other get over this these types of microaggressions saying these types of things in everyday conversation these innate biases like killing those biases to move towards a progressive society because we keep saying all these things about being progressive and being inclusive and diverse workplaces diverse this diverse that but why are we still having to have it's like we start all over again every time like it's I don't feel like it's been I don't feel like we've made changes since I've, at least since I've been in like a working professional, I feel like it happens every year. Like we say these things, but why are we constantly starting feeling like we're constantly starting from step one? Like what has changed over the last, like there's been so many decades of generations of people saying these things and activists trying to make this change. But like, why are we always constantly feeling like we're starting from step one? I think it's because the people in position of power are white and yeah. have the privilege they need to, to give up ignore. that power and they need to be comfortable giving up power yeah 100 yeah. but they have that privilege that they don't have to listen if yeah. they don't want yeah you can tune it out you you can these past two weeks you could have just been hanging out by the pool and which is the definition of privilege to me yeah <laughs> seriously like that's and a definition not, of privilege to me exactly. like if you can ignore it then wow like 
that you because you're comfortable because you don't need yeah. to deal with it because yeah. you're content with the status exactly. level. and you go into your business meeting and it's filled of all white people and you don't even notice that yeah right because your privilege has allowed you to not even notice that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so for people to say like oh there's not an issue it's like okay but like why is there no people of color around you mm-hmm. right Right. Like that that's what like you need to be putting black yeah. people in positions to change. You need to be putting money into the community. You need to be supporting black businesses. That's that's how like actual proper change is going to happen. Just posting something on Instagram is not making actual yeah. actionable change. Yes, it could possibly you could have touched somebody and like they could have thought about it, but I think I feel like it's the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think people need to like start organizing and doing things behind the scenes, not just for social media. Right. What are you doing when you turn off your phone? And I think like that, that is what's actually going to be making differences. Just reposting something. That's the easiest possible thing you could do. It's the laziest thing you could do. And if people actually care and want to support the black Mm -hmm. community and make change, they will be doing things outside of that. Yeah, and it's almost like a double-edged sword. Like, if you think about the generation of social media, like, this is, you know, in history, this is the biggest kind of movement that's happened in the, the current um, environment of social media. Um, but it bring, it brings up both points. It's like, is it good that more people are... Like, it's very lazy. I completely agree with that. But then at the same time, people are almost doing things for that clout. And like, oh, look, I made a donation. I mean, it's good that there's more people doing stuff, but at the same time, it's like, are you only doing it for the recognition? Like, what about all the people that have probably donated and, like, not posted about it? Like, it still counts because, you know, like, just because your friends aren't, like, resharing your post or whatever, like, there's... I I hope there are still people doing things, um, you know, and not asking for the recognition because I think it's still good even if you are posting it. There's nothing wrong with that, um, in my opinion. But at the same time, like, how do you feel about um, people who who may just be doing it for the attention and then like forgetting about it in the next few weeks. Like, I think this needs to be a constant behavior. It's a behavioral change. Yeah. That makes me really upset. Yeah. I think, yeah, you are just doing it for show. Yeah. But I think unfortunately in the world we live in and in society, I think like the black squares was the perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. On their social media and they saw everybody posting black squares and they were like, Oh, I need to do this. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, people are going to think that I don't support it if I don't do it. Yeah, and you haven't posted, like, one thing previously. Yeah. And so, I I don't know what to say about that other than, like, that bothers me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I just think, like, people, like, really need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, the black community has been uncomfortable their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's time for you to be uncomfortable yeah. and it's time for you to actually like realize your privilege and like make a change, mm-hmm. a big change. And yeah. Okay, fine. Like you might lose some dollars. Yeah. Like you might, like you being a director of a movie and casting majority black people might make some people not want to watch it. And you might not get as many views, unfortunately. But that's the problem right there. Like, if that happens, then great. You're addressing the issue right head on. Exactly. So you have to be prepared for maybe some negativity and to happen, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. in order to create a norm that continues to happen and brings positivity moving forward. Yeah. It has to get worse before it gets better. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. But I don't, I think people like, again, they're scared. Yeah. They're scared and they have the privilege not to do that. Yeah. Um, I think people think if it doesn't impact them, then why does it matter? Right. Right. So I, I don't know. It's just literally having like hope and faith and like just us like not stopping and being so loud. Mm -hmm. Like right now we're in a place where it's so loud that you can't turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you turn off your phone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Turn off the news. Yeah. So I think, like, that will force people to be uncomfortable. I think a lot of these businesses that have, like, posted about them doing things, a lot of it is fake for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it forced them to do it. Yeah, and it's like, exactly. Okay, so now, now you've spoke up. Now yeah. you've said, like, 
Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Now you've said you've donated. Right. So now we're going to force you Let's to show, see what show you your do. infrastructure. Like literally yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Exactly. So it's like now now you spoke. Now, now you have to take the action, right? Yeah, I agree. And as heartbreaking as it is that it's come to this, like I think the fact that we the fact the black community has to be this loud is like, okay, like this is not news. Like everyone knows that this is how it's been, but it has to happen. Like this is necessary change. And like, it needs to be this loud. And if if that's what it, if it takes, you know, months, years of this to continue, like I'm all for it. Like people need to listen up. People need to make that change. Um, Talking on social media is one thing and say, making all these statements, um, you need to back it up. And there needs to be proof of it. Like, show your receipts, as they say. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I 100% understand why it has to be this loud. And I read something that was really interesting. It was, like, a scenario. And it was saying, like, if you were in a meeting or, like, a group of some sort and you realized that everybody was white, mm-hmm. would you, you giving up your space for mm-hmm. someone that's black? Mm-hmm would make that impact but are you okay with doing that mm-hmm. are you okay mm-hmm. with letting go of something in order to give to somebody else mm-hmm. but that's the thing they think that that's a negative thing but mm-hmm. it's like have you realized the amount of privilege you've gotten thus far yeah from that yeah. that you giving up your spot is just making not even an even playing field yeah it's just like one step further but it's like that's the type of change that's gonna like you need to be so aware of the privilege that you have that you're okay with losing dollars, losing opportunity because you've gained already so much in your life to begin with. And we need multiple companies and people to step up. Like one company does it great. We need 1500. We need movements. Uh Like we need multiple, like hundreds and hundreds of people to, to make this types of, this type of change. And I hope it lasts. Like, I really hope this, this noise on, just because it's on social media, I really hope it doesn't, it doesn't become like a trend that people think it's a trend. Uh-huh. You know, it's not a trend. Like, I hate that. This is not a trend. Like. Well, people say like, oh, like people are, are literally just thinking like racism just started. started. Or, yeah. happened. or we you don't know, have that wow. in Canada. Like, And you're just like, no, this has been going on. Yeah. Canada's very specific too. Opening your eyes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, to add to that, I think like again, like TV shows, Mm -hmm. movies, it needs to be properly casted with a diverse group of people. Yeah, the media is a special space. All of media in general. Yeah, it's a whole sweep. (laughs) Like I work in media and I see it every single day. Like Amanda, I know we kind of wanted to touch on this too about like Canadian media specifically and how it's very biased and people don't realize that like. I know people who just swear by everything they see on the news. Like, no, I don't, I don't ever turn on the news and I work in media. I do not watch the news. Like it rattles me to the core every time I, I can't even sit through like an entire like 6 PM, whatever news special, because it just, it is so biased. You see it everywhere. Um, I'm really fortunate to have the education to back up kind of like realizing what goes on behind the scenes, but everything has an agenda. Everybody has an agenda. Everyone has a specific script um as much as you think something is not scripted it's scripted and there are clues and there are cues in everything you see in the public eye whether that's why social media is so different because it's just people are given that responsibility to curate everything by themselves now like we all have phones we all have and these recordings everything's being recorded you know like the very famous saying that's going on right now is um like Elaine Welteroth posted it, some people posted it, you know, it's not that racism didn't just start, it's being recorded. Like, everyone has that power in their hand now. But the media has been curating what you see for generations, ever since it started. Like, that's not a new thing. So Well, there's so many videos where you'll see, like, when the the riots were going on, so many videos you'll see on the news, and you'll see, like, a little clip of it. Yeah, so they'll they'll cut out everything else. The story. Yep, the media does that with everything. See the yep. whole thing, and you're like, okay, that's actually not what happened. Yeah, and it's it's great and media training. So like, I've sat with multiple executives who've done media training, and they always teach you in media training. Like, you sit with people who've worked in media for years, and they always tell you anything you say can be cut and chopped 
and glue together to make you sound like you said something completely different. Like it happens all the time. Don't say anything that can in any situation be manipulated to sound different. There's very specific ways that you say things to make sure that no matter if someone takes it apart and glues it back together, it will never sound um, in negative or a way to work against you. So people are, t- are taught this. People who are in the public eye all the time are trained on this because the media does it constantly. Um, but anyways, I'm going on too much of a tangent about that. But um, I, I think talking about the media and social media, but like both together and differently is really important because... I find the media to be very polarizing. Like you'll find very extreme left and you'll find very extreme right. And the nuanced conversation kind of gets lost somewhere in the middle. And, um, and like the Rex Murphy uh, situation, if you guys followed that with the national post where I think it kind of, to Mm -hmm. me that goes at like the root of Canadian media problem when it comes to this issue is there isn't even that acknowledgement that racism is as bad here as it is in America or that it's as prevalent as it is elsewhere. And when you're kind of using that as your starting point, as your baseline, um, I understand why anyone who's just taking that information isn't then taking the time to exercise those muscles, be comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and push mm-hmm. that, push that side of the story because that's not something that they're even familiar with. Um, I think it actually is a microaggression as well, this idea of uh, meritocracy being a real live concept that, you know, we're all exposed to the same opportunities. It's just a matter of who who takes up them up on it. And um, that's false. Like, that that's not true. We don't all have the same starting point. In fact, we very clearly, through statistics and our demographics, have very different starting points Um based on a variety of different classes and, and colors and races and genders. And um, when we talk about the media, I'll, I too get quite frustrated, but it's, it's, it's more so that it's just, it seems like the first step in all of this is acknowledgement and awareness. And in Canada, um, seldom do I find like a level of sincere acknowledgement and awareness and like a mass broadcasting tool. Do you want to explain um, the Rex Murphy thing just in case people don't know what happened? Yeah, so uh, it was it was an article that he posted. Rex Murphy is a is an infamous right leaning conservative guy. He posted at the National Post um, that uh, racism does not exist in Canada, um, and it was a pretty short article, but it got a lot of backlash. But it also got a lot of support, and uh, again, it served as one of those tools to polarize people and to really. Um, you either agree with him or you disagree with him. Like there's nothing in between. You can't say that it's better than America without completely agreeing that it doesn't exist. Or you can't say that it does exist without being looped in with someone who uh, wants to completely burn the system to the ground. And uh, what I struggle with is like the nuanced discussion. So I'm finding a lot of value in podcasts, in books, like they're, all the tools that have been circulating through social media, I'm actually finding a lot more value when it comes to this topic there than I am with math media, but not everyone's going to take the time to educate themselves. And I think that kind of goes to the heart of the problem. It's like do, teaching kids at a young age, getting to them when they're the most impressionable, um, showing people as opposed to explaining to people through business ownership, through supporting black business, through supporting black leaders. Um, I think, I think, that that's all very critical, but it does feel like the, it does feel kind of intimidating, even as someone who's not a part of the black community, it does seem like an extreme uphill battle even today, just because the, the media is all on the same side. And, um, if, and they're the ones that control the way that, like we just said, how people perceive information. It's mind control. Like there's no other way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, like, those people that are controlling are white. Yeah, of course. People that, are, it's, people that are saying racism doesn't exist are the ones that... Are privileged and white. ...experience racism. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, the actual definition of racism is when you believe that your race is superior over another. Mm-hmm. Right. If you are white, the system has been built for your success. Mm-hmm. So right. you, you will never believe that another race is superior over mm-hmm. yours. Right. 
Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people that are minorities that might think that, and just from like my own experiences of talking with people, mm-hmm. it's they don't they'll say it's not racism because they are suppressing their feelings. They don't want to feel. They don't want to feel it. Yeah. They don't want to think it's racism, and I think that's a whole other mm-hmm. situation. And I think what it comes down to is like mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about racism and we talk about everything that's been going on, I think mental health has not been a big conversation and I think it needs to be because mm-hmm. I think when you go through your whole life dealing with these things, it affects you mentally, mm-hmm. right? I think mental health is a key factor of minorities in general and the majorly the black community for them in order to continue successfully and powerfully a lot of black people on social media have been posting how tired they are how Mm -hmm. exhausted they are how traumatic this has been Mm -hmm. so how do we support this the black community Mm -hmm. with getting proper mental health resources yeah that's a great point that's powerful yeah and I think that needs to be something that is really discussed is people are suppressing how they feel because that's just the way that they've gotten through it. When you when you're in a situation and uh, something happens to you and said to you, and specific, um, especially in the um, corporate world, you suppress it, mm-hmm. right? And like that is just building layers upon yeah. layers. Yeah, I mean that's with any emotions when you suppress your emotions, yeah. you know. Especially if it's been happening since you were a child. Yeah, that's years and, and years of suppression. And then like put on actual like police brutality that possibly has happened to you and your family and all these extra like horrible violent things what traumatic in those traumatic incidences like what effect is that happening on on you mentally yeah I'll be honest I haven't I haven't watched the video of George Floyd I haven't I, I can't bring myself to watch I just feel I don't want to see someone in that situation like I've seen clips of it and I just I I haven't been able to sit down and watch one of those videos and I think I actually personally I think it's a little wrong to share not a little like I think it's wrong to share keep sharing those videos just because I think it does a lot a lot of damage and I don't think people I think people hopefully get it um that it's someone passed away someone died like I don't think you need to watch it constantly um it's doing two things to the black community it's traumatizing them to the rest of the world they're posting it and sharing it to try to normalize it yeah to say like look yeah exactly there's a new one from atlanta that's circulating today yeah i haven't watched it like i won't watch it i just can't watch them it's like if you go if you turn on cnn like you see yeah i know which is crazy because they're trying to like make it feel like that desensitize you to it yeah desensitize you so it's like when you watch like scary movies and action movies and you Mm -hmm. see people get shot and killed like you don't think anything of it it's like a movie exactly they're gonna like keep posting it on 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 um social media and on the news so that when you see it you're like okay yeah like in what way is that helping anyone but then they don't think about how that's actually affecting the black community every time they look at it how traumatizing it is to them yeah, 100% and how, and how are we helping that black community get through this so that they can be powerful and stronger mm-hmm. and lead through this yeah. and surpass this? Yeah. We're going to leave some resources as well in the link to this because I think that's really important. I think it really helps other people of color, white people. I think resources are kind of what you should be reading and looking at, um, educating yourself, just listening and learning, I think is the two key things. Like if you don't know anything about this, don't say anything, um, learn before you start opening your mouth and chiming in for the clout. I think, um, look at, read up on the resources, read books, read a Toni Morrison novel, read black authors. Um, that's, that's, you know, from, from their experiences, like that is, they're writing about their lives. And I think that's a really good place to start. Um, but Amanda, I know you had some, some resources too that, um, maybe you want to touch on or we can leave in the link box as well. Yeah. Yeah. I read, uh, how to be anti-racist, right? White fragility. I've really enjoyed the podcast about race. Um, 
And you know, it's funny stuff. You brought up mental health and like, that's an issue that I feel very personally connected to, but I'll be honest with you. I have not read that in a lot of places mm-hmm. like that connection. Um, and it's, like, it's, it's having me think like, even now, as we're having this chat, like how, how oblivious to something so obvious, but it's just so mm-hmm. rarely spoken up about. Yeah. And uh, there's a foundation actually, um, called the Loveland foundation. Yeah, I saw Loveland. That. Mm-hmm. And they, they are giving, mental health resources, therapists and counselors to women in America that can't afford it. That's and I great. think like foundations like that also definitely need to be supported. So if you're looking for somewhere to donate, mm-hmm. I would definitely donate there because I think that is a major key in supporting the black community mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's very powerful. We'll definitely link to that below. Yeah, I saw I saw a couple posts about the Loveland. I've read about them, and it's really, really interesting. And I think the work people are doing now to, not just now, but people have been, I'm, I'm really glad that a lot of people are getting a light shone on kind of all the initiatives that are out there. There's there's no shortage of places to donate to or help, or help out with, um, even donating time. Like, I'm a big uh, believer in donating time. If you can't, for some reason, donate the money. I think it's just as good as kind of volunteering and helping out physically is really good. Um, our first episode ever was on mental health and during the pandemic. So I think this is a perfect kind of segue into all the other kind of communities that need support. I think mental health is, I personally believe everyone should speak to their, their therapist. Um, just, you know, it's, it's beneficial. And I think anyone can kind of, um, benefit from having those conversations the, the tough conversations no matter how it's making you feel um talking out your feelings is really important but specifically we really need to support the black community right now and I think um it is it is very traumatizing there's a lot there's a lot of information to take in every single day um but it's important and we need to support the whole, it takes a village like I think everyone needs to step up and support in their own way um, however that works for you, but we'll, we'll probably link to a couple different types of resources. And I think that's important too, to just figure out what kind of works for you, but yeah, donating time, donating money, just, just learning, um, however you can provide a platform. I think this is kind of one way that I thought it'd be interesting just to reach another kind of demographic. However you can do that would be really, uh, beneficial too, but for sure. Cool. I think that's a good place to end off. Got an hour. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for talking to us. Yes, that was oh, super what? helpful. Thank you so much for using your platform for this. Yeah, of course. This was our emerging platform that has <laughs> followers. <laughs> I know, right? Episode two. Yeah. <laughs> Coming in hot. I like it.